Well, if you would tonight, turn with me to the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. We will be finishing this letter this week. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you haven't been with us all these weeks in 1 Corinthians, I want to remind you of just some things that Paul did in addressing this church that was so problematic and this church that certainly was not a perfect church. Paul told them he loved them. Paul gave them godly counsel. God, uh, Paul rebuked them on multiple fronts. He taught them. He encouraged them. He pleaded with them. But what, besides the climactic crescendo of the resurrection in chapter 15, does he want to end his letter with? Chapter 16, I think, reminds all of them that they are not alone and that they must stand firm in the faith. Follow along as I read. A lot of details, a lot of plans that we know did or did not take place in the history of the church, but the conclusion of Paul's letter, inspired by the Holy Spirit and still God's very word. Follow along as I read the last chapter, chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers... You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. As we consider this conclusion to Paul's letter to the Corinthians so many years ago now, let us bow briefly in prayer. Lord, guide our thoughts, guide my words, that they would be pleasing in your sight. 
Lord, remind us of your promises and guide us in your truth. Lord, I pray that the things spoken here tonight would be consistent with your word or else fall away and never be heard from again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is a saying that you can miss the forest as you look at the trees. Can a church do that? What do you think? I think of all the programs that churches have. Some of these programs are very good. They might teach children the word of God. They might proclaim the gospel. They might help in the ministry of making disciples. They might help equip the saints for ministry. They might help the poor. They might take the gospel in different situations and different focus, uh, different foci or focuses. They might do all kinds of things in the church, and I've been a part of many of them. I've been a part of things like Pioneer Clubs for a number of years, which reach children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been a part of Sunday school programs that taught both young and old the word of God in a more systematic fashion. I've been a a part of Bible studies and small group ministries and a part of mercy ministries of all kinds of different avenues to reach people with the gospel. But sometimes these programs, as good as they are, become the total focus of the church so that we might lose the one focus that Paul reminds the church in Corinth to have, the focus of Jesus Christ and the faith we have in him. You see, he's going to describe many ministries that are going on both from his pen and in the local church, but in the midst of this, it's for the sake of the glory of Jesus. First of all is the mercy ministry that he's about to ask them to take a part of. Secondly is the traveling ministry of Paul and the other servants of God in this time period. Third is the ministry of admonishment in which he is exhorting the congregation to do certain things in their faith. And finally is the ministry of acknowledgement, to acknowledge the gifts and the faith of others. But first of all tonight, the mercy ministry. Mercy ministry is a great avenue for the church to serve God. In fact, in the Old Testament, when it came to serving the needs of the poor, the widows, and the orphans, God again and again called the people to task for how they ran roughshod and brought injustice to those that they were supposed to care for particularly. And so he begins to describe this mercy ministry. Now again, this must have been a question that they had asked. He's addressing it. That's kind of the formula here in 1 Corinthians, now concerning or about something that they had addressed, perhaps in a letter to Paul or perhaps in his visits, or maybe by those they sent to him, like Stephanus or Fortunatus. Whatever the case, this is a question that they have. Paul, in his calling as a minister to the Gentiles, an evangelist, As he was accepted by the brothers in Jerusalem, they asked him to do one thing. They asked him to consider the needs of the poor. And he says it was something that he was glad to do. These words can be found in Acts and Galatians as well as Romans and here in 1 Corinthians. So everywhere he went in a certain time period of his ministry... He went from church to church to collect a special offering for the saints in Jerusalem who were going through a time of extreme poverty. Now, if you knew the historical situation, you probably know 
that in Jerusalem during this time period, Jewish people were, were largely very poor. And from the diaspora, that is all those Jewish people who were spread throughout the Mediterranean basin, they would send money back to help their Jewish brethren. The problem was that those who had become Christians, many of them were considered to be those who had become defectors from Judaism. And so those who were believers in Jesus Christ amongst the Jewish believer, amongst the Jews in Jerusalem, were left apart from many of the distribution of these funds. And so Christians of all of the Jewish people, those who believed in Christ, were likely the poorest. During this time, there were famine. There was also oppression. Uh, They were, of course, under the umbrella of the Roman Empire. And so in their poverty, Paul sought for the new churches that had proclaimed Christ in these areas, Gentile or Jewish, that it would be something in order for them to provide funding for the needs of the church in Jerusalem. So here he says about this collection, I directed the churches of Galatia as I directed them, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems it advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. In this mercy ministry, this is what it is, a program of collection for the saints in Jerusalem. They were, first of all, to have ready collections. In other words, he's reminding them of their duty on a regular basis to come and collect up the tithes and offerings of the people. The indication here is that they would do this either in their homes or perhaps more likely, like we do at our church, they would collect them in a box or in the church's treasury so that when Paul would come, he would not have to go and plead with them or give emotional uh, pleas or bargains for them to come with these offerings. It is completely voluntary. It is something that he is not asking them that they have to do. It is a voluntary thing to show their love for God's people in another place. So they were to have these ready collections. And of course, in those days, they did not have wire transfers or PayPal or a group called WISE that you can send money through like we do sometimes here at our church. Instead, they had to take that money physically back to Jerusalem. So here are the practical instructions. They need reliable carriers. Notice what he says. Those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And then verse 4 seems to indicate if the offering is big enough, Paul will go with them too. Paul evidently doesn't want to touch the funding. This is their funding. This is their gift. And so they are to take people amongst their group, perhaps deacons or others, who are entrusted with these funds and to take them to Jerusalem. But this is mercy ministry, that when one part of the church has an abundance, then they are to give freely and wonderfully to those who are in need. I have to say I was reminded these last few weeks of the joy it has been for me to be able to tell one of our partners in the gospel, Maxime Fokin, that our mission committee has approved funding for him in order to meet some of his needs as he is in now a diaspora, in a sense, 
having been told basically he could not come back to Russia under the circumstances of the fact that he does not want to serve in their war. He is now a pastor who is in is a refugee. He is now in Turkey. He's just one of thousands of believers displaced by war, by poverty, by persecution, or by other problems. In his case, he had the need just to get by and have a place to live and enabled to fix his teeth for one thing, something that we take for granted. And yet we are reminded of the joy it is to help meet the needs of those who are in need amongst the poor of God's people. Jesus himself, when there were funds used to anoint him with precious oil or fragrance, he reminded the people there, you will always have the poor among you. And yet by God's grace, we always have the privilege to share our abundance with those who have little. In addition to the mercy ministry, he told them of his plans and the plans for those around them. This is what we might call a traveling ministry. He's reminding them of the privilege to come and teach the word of God. And he gives the plans not only of himself, but of two of his fellow workers, Timothy and Apollos. Here are the plans of Paul. He says he wants to go through Macedonia. We know that some of the churches there, like the church in Thessalonica, for example, he wants to go through and visit those churches. Then he wants to go to Corinth, perhaps even for the winter. In those days, of course, before air travel and before some of the the means by which we have to traverse the earth, they would take the winter off in their travels because of the storms that might take place in the Mediterranean or the difficulty of traveling in those days. And so he reminded them, when I winter, perhaps it will be with you in Corinth. That was what his plans were. Then he wanted to go to Ephesus and remain there till Pentecost. Pentecost, of course, being in the spring or early summer. He says, I will stay in Ephesus until that time. Why? Because a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. We know that historically Paul did this. He spent three months in the city of Ephesus and taught them every day for hours in a lecture hall. But notice what he says in coordination with these plans. These were Paul's plans when he wrote the letter. Go to Macedonia and go through those areas, visiting the churches. Spend some time in Corinth, address them with the gospel, and then spend time in Ephesus. He says, if the Lord permits. We are reminded that even Paul, a great missionary, someone called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, someone who would travel all over the Mediterranean basin, Even he has to understand that his plans sometimes do not come to fruition. In fact, in the book of Acts, there is one point where it says the Holy Spirit forbid him to do what he planned to do and yet opened up another door. If the Lord permits, then he will do what? Respond to open doors. Notice what he says about Ephesus. Here was a place for effective work that had been opened to him. We don't know exactly what he's talking about here. Perhaps there is an open invitation for him to teach. Perhaps it's that they had acquired the use of this lecture hall to proclaim the gospel. 
Perhaps it was just that this church was burgeoning and growing according to the grace of God and he saw that opportunity. Whatever it was, we are reminded that sometimes opportunities for ministry come that we don't necessarily expect or that we long for and have opened up and we must respond to those open doors. These are the plans of Paul. But then he gives the plans of Timothy. Here's Timothy, his son in the faith, someone who is described in some places as a young teacher because he tells them that, or he tells uh, Timothy not to let his youth be something that stops him from exhibiting his gift of teaching. In verse 10, it says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. In other words, welcome him, make him welcome. You would think that a church would do this, but this was a church that was jealous for different teachers. Some people like Paul or Peter or Apollos or others, and so they were divisive and jealous of one teacher or another, and Paul has to remind them, welcome this one. Welcome Timothy. For it says he is doing the work of the Lord. So therefore, let no one despise him. I don't know what it is about Timothy. Timothy, for some reason, some people didn't think he had the right gifts. Some people despised him because of his age or had contempt for him for one reason or another. Maybe Timothy felt it difficult to minister. I don't know. I know when I was first called as a pastor, it was interesting being just 27 years old, being called to be the solo pastor of a church. And I know that there were some who did not like or would not like to listen to someone half their age or a third their age or a fourth their age when it came to hearing the gospel. But it says here, do not despise Timothy. Instead, what are they to do? Help him. What can this help look like? Maybe it's to provide for his needs while he is there, the basic living expenses Perhaps it's in order to help him so that he doesn't have to do all the work of teaching that maybe they would come alongside, even in background ministries like providing for his podium to speak from or enabling him in his circumstances uh, to uh, teach in a place that was acceptable, whatever it might be. Help him on his way. Why? Because Paul wants him back. He's useful to Paul. Timothy is such a servant of the gospel. He is a Gentile, uh, one parent Jewish, one parent Gentile, who has come to Christ on Paul's missionary journeys. And he accompanies Paul through much of his journeys, becomes very useful, and is called to go from church to church with missions by the Apostle Paul, called by the Holy Spirit. These plans of Timothy and this traveling ministry are a wonder to know that the church at this time is connected by the traveling ministry of apostles and servants like Timothy. But if this wasn't enough, Paul also mentions the plans of Apollos. This is quite interesting because Apollos is one of those that they would set up against Paul. It said that some people liked the teaching of Apollos. We kind of get the impression that Apollos was a great speaker, maybe a great rhetorician, uh, and uh, someone who could give quite a speech or quite a sermon. And here was Paul, they described him as being one person in his letters and somebody else in person, almost as if he was weak in person and strong in his letters. And yet Paul reminds them that they are together in the gospel. 
He says he has communication with Apollos. In fact, Paul is urging him regarding Corinth to visit them. Rather than be jealous of Apollos, Paul wants Apollos to minister in that place. And so it is that pastors should never be jealous of other speakers to come in and proclaim the gospel of Christ as long as it is consistent with God's holy word. In Paul's urging regarding Corinth, we are reminded once again of this pause. It says, but it was not at all his will to come now. The interesting thing about the Greek in this particular passage is it doesn't say his will, it says the will. In other words, this is either Apollos' will or God's will. It's not possible for whatever reason, maybe Apollos has other plans or is busy, or maybe God has prevented him from visiting whatever it is. It's not the will of God for Apollos to come at this point in time, but he will arrive when opportunity arises. So what about all of this planning? Paul, Timothy, Apollos. I think this is something that we have in our church. We make plans. In fact, if you go to our deacon meetings, our deacons have plans. Right now there's a plan going on to exhibit a new fellowship hall in our congregation. They have plans down the road to remodel our restrooms and to repave the parking lot and to do more things to our property. There are plans to help with mercy ministry, and some of those plans are coming to fruition in programs like Grief Share or Embrace Grace. There are ministry plans by the elders or the discipleship committee or the mission committee, plans about Sunday school, plans about training officers, plans about Bible studies, plans about planting a new church in Carolina Forest, plans of mercy ministry, and the list goes on. We make these plans over and over again. Sometimes they are plans to travel, short-term mission trips, teaching trips to other countries. Sometimes they are plans to provide an opportunity to present the gospel to those in our own communities. But again, there's always the caveat, if the Lord wills. James 4.15 reminds us, Don't go around just saying, I'm going to do this or that. But always remember, it's under the Lord's will. We're always in submission to God's plans and God's purposes. That's why sometimes we will, after a long time of fruitful and successful ministry in a particular program, understand that it might be the end of that program and it might need to end. That's why there might be an opportunity, though we have studied and looked for an opportunity to do one particular way of presenting the gospel, we might find that this is not God's open door. And yet, on the other hand, we might find that there might be an opportunity we had not thought of and we had not considered and God has brought it to our door, and therefore we should respond to that open door as the Lord permits. Always in submission to God's plans in ministry. And, of course, then Paul turns to the local church. He says in verse 13, many things. These are all commands. This ministry of admonishment or exhortation, he says these particular things. Be watchful. The idea here is to be awake. This is Jesus' teaching to those who were waiting for him to return, to always be ready for Christ to come back. Be watchful. 
Be aware. Then he says this, stand firm in the faith. This was a church that was so caught up in itself, so caught up in doing their own things, their own ways, that they forgot sometimes what the purpose of the church was, Jesus Christ, and to stand firm upon the foundation of the rock of God. Then he says to them, act like men. Now, he's not saying here uh, that this is a, a theatrical organization, that they need to act like they're somebody they're not. He's reminding them of their immaturity. This is what has happened in the church. Their worship experience was a mess. It was unorganized, and people would come in from the outside and wonder what in the world was going on in their worship services. They were striving against one another, jealous of each other's gifts, They were those who would gravitate towards one speaker or another. They also had problems with immorality and lack of discipline. All of these things. In essence, he's saying, grow up. Act like men. And of course, if you act like men, hopefully you are strong. He says, be strong. Of course, this isn't physical strength that they're going out to the gym and and uh, working out and doing all those things, although those are not bad things to do. He's saying, be strong in Christ. Be strong. Do all things, however, in love. You see, the strength of a man of faith is not in his running roughshod over others, is not in uh, the fact that he is right and everybody else is wrong. His strength is in how he loves the other people in the church. Therefore, he says, let all that you do, whether discipline or teaching or mercy ministry or whatever it is, let all that you do be done in love. And then finally, he says, I urge you, brothers, you know the household of Stephanas were the first, uh, were the first converts in Achaica and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. He says, be subject or submit yourself to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. And then he mentions three. We don't know much about these individuals. But they refreshed Paul. And he says, give recognition to them. So here is a reminder that in these things, we must be aware of our immaturity in order to grow in our faith. You see, it's not necessarily the best thing to say, As a father, there have been times I've been so exasperated with my daughter or my sons that I've used that timeless phrase that seems to antagonize them more than it does to help them. But I said it anyway, just grow up. It seems that this is what Paul is telling the church. Grow up. Don't maintain a level of immaturity where it's always milk for you. Instead, come to a place where you are growing in the faith, you are maturing, and the church will see you as a church that is standing firm in the faith, being strong in the Lord Jesus. You see, many of these issues stem from the immaturity in community in the church. This section exhorts the church to grow together in faith and love. And this last section will then remind us that the kingdom is bigger than the local church. For here is how he ends the letter. 
he ends with these ministry, this ministry of acknowledgments, first from other churches. The churches of Asia, of course, this is a particular region, the, the western third or so of what is modern-day Turkey, particularly Asia Minor. And from these churches, they received greetings. Even one church from Aquila and Prissa, those who had become Christians in Rome but were scattered amongst the diaspora under the persecution of Rome, and they found themselves at one point in Corinth teaching them, and then in other places, he says, this church greets you. Then he says, all the brothers send you greetings. And of course, who are these brothers he's talking about? He's talking about his fellow workers and laborers in the gospel on the mission field. He's talking about all the churches he's visited from Galatia to Rome to Philippi to Thessalonica, all of those places, Colossae, for example. He says, they greet you. In other words, you're not alone. There is a greater place for you in the kingdom of heaven. Greet one another, he says, with a holy kiss. In our culture, we do it by a handshake. My hand got tired this morning shaking everybody, not literally, but it did. Then he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. This is the word Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you and all with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. From Paul, first of all, he's invoking Christ's grace upon them. In other words, despite everything that he has addressed, all the problems of this church, rank immorality, jealousy and division, those who didn't understand the importance of marriage, those who fought over spiritual gifts, all of those things, he says, in all of this, I want Christ to have grace upon you, to forgive you of your sins, to draw you together unto him as he would those uh, hen would gather chicks. Then as well, he says, he's invoking his love upon them all. Here's Apostle Paul. There are people in the Corinthian church that frankly don't like him. There are people who said, I don't like your teaching, I like the teaching of Peter. There are those who have uh, maligned him for bringing to their attention their sins and their disobedience against God's way of worship or God's way of discipline. And yet in the end, what does Paul say? My love be with you all. Not just those I like not just those I get along with, but with all of you. You see, in this passage, Paul has clearly told the Corinthians to be all in on Jesus, hasn't he? He's addressed their problems in worship, their lack of discipline, their problems of division. He's teached them about marriage, about spiritual gifts, and the centrality of the resurrection. But how does he conclude? He concludes with reminding the church that it has just one place in the overarching kingdom of God for all those who profess to believe in Jesus Christ. And in that one kingdom, they are under Christ in submission to his word. Therefore, stand firm in the faith. Let's pray. Father, by your grace, through all these types of ministry, with all these servants that are mentioned in the churches that are 
talked about in this passage, we are reminded that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, as chapter 15 told us. And now, Lord, it is the design of the church, every local church, in community with one another, to love one another, to submit to those you place in authority over us. And Lord, by these expressions, to show that we stand firm, not in our own opinions, not in our own ways, not in our own ideas, but on our faith in Jesus Christ, the bedrock of our hope. We pray all these things.